calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. everybody and welcome to a brand new spoiler review episode of the bad batch from the geek buddies Buddies. oh there we did it we didn't practice this ahead of time i was gonna let you do your laura kelly no let's try it again back it up we're not talking about it go to the top john start over i apologize here we go uh welcome everybody to a brand new spoiler review of the bad batch from the geek buddies Oh God, that was good. And the Geek Buddies are joined by... Laura Kelly. There There it is. All right, awesome stuff. Thank you everybody for joining us. We'll get into these uh, two episodes, episodes seven and eight here, The Clone Conspiracy and Truth and Consequences, New Mexico. No, no, it's just Truth and Consequences. We're going to get into so much of what happened here, spoiler review-wise, a political thriller. I came to an animated series and a political thriller burst out of it pretty interesting stuff over these next two episodes we're gonna break it all down here over about 50 minutes so sit back relax grab a drink put your feet up and let us give you our thoughts about what happened here in these two episodes um let's introduce ourselves first though i am the outlaw john roca writer producer and host here on the geek buddies i am michael vogel i'm a writer and producer of animated tv shows and movies and joining us the co-host of the force toast pod co-host the jedi way and uh, someone uh, we love having on the show to talk about Star Wars here, the great Laura Kelly. Thank you so much for having me back, you guys. Can I just show off my koozie really quick? I've, it's not beer, it's Ooh. a card. But look at my like Chewbacca Ooh. koozie that's got little Kansas City on it. Isn't it fun? 
Do you find just you find yourself rubbing the fur sometimes? Just it's to, very uh, soft. It's yeah. it's very very soft. Feels like mink Wookie fur, as it turns out, oh. is quite soft. These Wookie many are something. Many Wookies died to bring they you did. that koozie. They did. Thank God for that. Laura Kelly after Trandoshan's heart having all that Wookiee pelt around her. All right. Anyway, let's jump into this stuff here. Some oh, a big shout out also to Carbon Health who continues to power and sponsor us on the Geek Buddies. Hey, if you got some healthcare questions or concerns, you got a clone trooper trying to shoot you off a platform and you got you got a little injury from it, go and get checked out at carbonhealth.com or download the app to have a doc in your pocket. Hundred plus locations all over the country. And they are making a more concerted effort to have to have uh, uh, facilities and to have programs available for those of you who are dealing with mental health. So definitely go and check them out today, virtually or in person, if you can. All right. As I said, these two episodes here, we got a clone, the clone conspiracy and true the consequences. I'm not going to break them up. We're just going to have a fun discussion about it over these next 50 minutes. So these two very much intertwined these episodes, essentially one mini episode, so to speak uh, here, Mike, and overall just following the path of Camino, following the path of Rampart, and the Emperor getting the best of everybody at the end by turning the tables on everybody. Some interesting stuff going on here with the clones, hearing about clone rights and what do we do with the military. And, of course, very real-world connective things going on in this because a lot of people talk about how we treat our soldiers after the war. That's always been an issue in our country and I'm sure in other countries as well. How do we move forward from them? How do we make sure they're taken care of? What do we do about the people who want to keep fighting but eventually age out of their abilities to keep fighting. And oh, by the way, we've got a political leader who was pulling some nefarious stuff and trying to kill off all the people who might have information that leads back to him. But before he can get the job done, we have our rescue Clone Force 99 here pulling off a mission with Captain Rex getting the information that they need, putting it out into the Senate. And the Emperor, just when you think the Emperor is going to be caught with his pants down, he pulls him right back up and screws everybody else in sight at the end so what did you think overall of these two episodes mike well i think two i have two very separate and distinct thoughts okay uh the first thought is give me give me political star wars i was wrong back in the day (laughs) i was wrong when the prequels came out and i said they were too political because they started talking about clone pension in this episode and i was (laughs) like yes let's talk about clone pension let's do it uh these are great. These are two of the best episodes. Uh, I love these episodes. These I said a couple weeks ago that Star Wars is best when it sort of dives into the bigger ideas that they establish and the bigger themes and the bigger storylines. And this is all about the clones. I mean, pretty much this is like Jar Jar Binks put Palpatine in charge of the Senate with his emergency <laughs> powers so he could make a clone army. And in this episode... Uh, Palpatine got rid of the clone army and brought in the stormtroopers. I mean, this is the epic, big storytelling that I love in Star Wars. So I thought these episodes were great. Here's the problem. Okay. So far this season, the best episodes of the Bad Batch have very little of the Bad Batch in them. Um, I feel like Hunter and Tech uh, and... um, why am I blanking on my big Wrecker. boy's name? Wrecker. Yeah. Uh, I think I feel like Hunter and Tech and Wrecker are taking a back seat in their own show. Yeah. I feel like they're kind of on this uh, treadmill of we got to do missions and what's our mission this week? And Sid sent us here. Oh, Sid's not here, but Rex called us. Let's go here. And everyone else around them 
Um, whether that be Gunji, whether that be Palpatine, whether that be Rampart, whether that be uh, you know, uh, our, our good girl Chuchi, who's yeah, back from Clone Chuchi. Wars. Um, everyone else is carrying the ball and giving me way more interesting stories than the clones are. And I think that's not great for the Bad Batch as a show, but these two episodes were just banger episodes for Star Wars on the whole. Yeah. Laura, your overall thoughts on this and your opinions on Michael's two distinct thoughts about these episodes. Well, as they say in Jerry Maguire, you had me at Coruscant. <laughs> I have never been happier to spend more time on... I mean, how beautiful did it look it in did. this animation style? I mean, just daytime, nighttime, sunsets. I was here for all of it. I loved it so much. So that alone, that, that was a great uh, feature, I think, of these two episodes. We had the return of uh senator pamlo chuchi rex bale we had like a bunch of really great characters thrown back into this mix here it felt a lot like a clone wars episode to be honest at least the first one here did um and that was really fun to be back in this world you know the fact that the bad batch and that omega weren't in this first episode at all you know i kind of i like having a break from them now and then so i don't really see too much of an issue with it um i've kind of started to think of them as like ushering us through this like era of star wars in particular and if they happen to you know step out for a minute i i don't know i don't have a problem with it and i don't really think it's strange i think it's kind of a it's almost like when the clone wars when like we didn't have an anakin and ahsoka episode mm. and we had our fair share of like taking breaks from them so oh, yeah. I, I kind of don't have as much of an issue i don't think with it um and i i honestly kind of like it and i really did like the plot twist of the assassin in this episode in particular yeah. too that really threw me for a loop i didn't see the ending coming at all yeah i agree and i do want to clarify because i don't think there's an issue with taking a break like i think mm. the crosshair episode is great i think having this one episode that is all on coruscant that leads the bad batch in i think that's totally valid I think even in the episodes where the Bad Batch is in the episode, like the second episode, they're going through the motions and doing cool stuff, but they're not driving a lot of the emotional story, the character story. They're showing up and they're doing their awesome Clone Clone Force 99 thing, but it's Rex who is saying, I got to go save the clones. It's Echo who's like, I'm going to go with Rex. Like Everyone's like, oh, hey guys, you're just doing missions. I'm going to go do the big stuff in Star Wars now. And it kind of is leaving them because... Even Hunter doesn't really seem to have an opinion. I mean, I was kind of expecting that this episode in particular, when we got to the second episode, was going to bring that Hunter and Echo conversation from earlier in the season two ahead. Like if Rex had said, hey, guys, I need you. And Hunter had said, sorry, we're not getting involved. We're not going to Coruscant. Echo was like, the fuck we're not going to Coruscant. That would have been some really good character interplay. But we kind of just had the Bad Batch show up and say, all right, what do you need? Cool. We got it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, uh I kind of uh, mirror what um, Wrecker says, right? I'm sick of waiting around for Sid. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think I'm sick. I'm <laughs> sick of waiting around for Clone Force ninety nine to dial into this battle once and for all. To dial in, it can't just be a mission. Echo clearly the conscience here. The stronger connection to Captain Rex, of course, but also at the beginning of the second episode that we're talking about here, he's the one that's talking to Omega she, after she's trying to meditate there, talking about how. He wouldn't be where he is now if it wasn't for Clone Force 99. So he totally respects and appreciates their presence in his world. But he's also like, look, there's a bigger thing here. And it's like, come on, guys. At what point do we do we all dial in and understand that this is about everybody and this is about stopping a new evil from taking over 
of the galaxy. So I just find, even though it's going to be a losing cause, you know, eventually until until Return of the Jedi, it's just fascinating to see this kind of situation play out where they kind of are taking a backseat throughout most of the season, it feels like, to what is happening. And even, even splitting out Omega to go with the Senator kind of elevates Omega as the character you should be watching over Hunter or Wrecker or Tech. Uh, and it is a little frustrating to see that because I, I like the Clone Force 99. Why are they not writing them to be more affected by what's going on and more dialed in and more wanting to take action to fight and battle? Being connected to Sid has really felt smaller and smaller every episode. And at some point, it's going to become exhausting and feel like you're just repeating the pattern instead of giving them character arcs to break out of this and find their own way. That being said, though, I really enjoyed the writing of both of these episodes. Really enjoyed the journey of all the main characters that were going through things. Senator Chuchi giving her even more, because she was kind of, I don't know, what could you say, felt a little out of her depth initially, but then step by step figured out what was going on and found her strength more and more as she was getting information. She was making these connections, giving us Slip and Cade and having what interesting, it was like Rosencrantz and Gildenstern almost. Okay, what are we going to figure out? And then one of them gets killed. Okay, can he get the information? He dies. It's Crosshair. It isn't Crosshair. Holy shit, what does this mean, believer? Is there a cult of clones? What is this all about? So there's so much that, that was presented. And then the second episode, getting the Clone Force 99 to show up, I liked the action sequences. I liked the process of everything went down. But the movement between Rampart and him trying to kind of make sure he doesn't get caught, I thought that was much more interesting yep. than any of the battle sequences. And then having Palpatine, as I mentioned twice already here, turn the tables on everybody and use that logic that you think that you're about to get um, get the better of Rampart, using that logic to screw Rampart so he never talks about Palpatine's involvement and gets the overall goal that Palpatine was going for, which is the elimination of the clone army so we can bring in the Imperial Stormtroopers. Absolute genius. Absolute genius the way it all played out. So really appreciated the writing on that one. Um, Michael, anything that you felt didn't 100% quite, or, or how do you say this? Let's just deal with the main storyline. How did you feel it was paced out through these two episodes, getting the information, uh, the two guys talking in the bar about Camino, then one of them contacting Rampart, never do that, to give him a chance to tell the truth. He's the one that gets iced, but then Slip is the one that's kind of uh, carrying this, almost like carrying the ball forward here and giving the story to Chuchi. Chuchi confronting Rampart and then her carrying the ball forward after uh, Slip gets killed, leading that to Clone Force 9, leading to that uh, video being played in the Senate. How did you think they paced all this out over two episodes? I mean, I think they paced it out great. This is where I think the show really shines, Mm. is that they aren't afraid to dive in and go full political thriller. Uh, And they really paced it out like a political thriller. I mean, you know, you set everything up with... Uh, you know, them trying to push everything through with Rampart's, uh, what is it, the defense, the defense bill. Um, Yeah. And, you know, just, and then it is just, there's something really, defense recruitment bill, thank you. There's something really satisfying, you know, is it seeing uh, Tierna Tierna Pomlo? Is that her, Senator Senator Pomlo? Mm. Um, Who's, who is a character that uh, thus far we've only seen in live action in Rogue One, but seeing her in the Senate, next to Bail Organa, and then seeing Senator Chuchi, who, like I said, if you've watched Clone Wars, she really got a lot of, uh, some not a lot, but she got some really nice featured episodes back in Clone Wars, so to see her still around, and it's just this great sort of connection from the story of, like, 
Padme and Bail Organa in the Senate in the prequels and knowing where everything goes and seeing the handoff of these characters and seeing them all argue basically for clones' rights. Mm-hmm. You know, that like the, the, the banking clan uh, and the other guilds that are in there are kind of like treating the clones the way that you would treat droids. Like, let's just shut them down. Like, we, Camino's gone. We lost that. We should just, you know, get rid of these clones. So to really have this sort of big discussion, and I think this is what was great about Clone Wars the series is because... I know a lot of people love the prequels, but in the prequels, the clones aren't really treated too much like characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are there. Uh, you know, a couple of them get names, like Obi-Wan does talk to Cody, but they don't have their individual personalities. And it wasn't until we got to Clone Wars the series that we really started to delve in to these clones as individuals and then created a bunch of characters that we all love and are obsessed with now. And so to see that sort of play out as they're sort of discussing the clones and the way that they treat them. Like, I thought it was really great. And then to go from that, you know, you have these clones that have this mission, you get a couple really good action sequences, you get all of the intrigue and the shadows. Uh, like it was just, it was really, really well paced. And then building to that big Rex reveal, yeah. um, even though we are pretty sure that's who uh, Slip was calling, um, you know, it just, it worked really, really great, I thought. And then to go from that into episode two when the Bad Batch does show up and give us this really big dynamic action sequence while, you know, oh, are they going to get the stuff to Rampart in time? Like, it it really all worked really well. Yeah. And then, I mean, Laura, to you on the pacing here, and then to add a little bit to Michael, the idea of Echo staying with Rex. And now, is this the end of the Echo uh, portion of the clone, of, sorry, of the Bad Batch? with uh with uh with these crew with these guys and what happens now do they just go back to sids and run missions omega has seen what happens in the senate omega has seen how clones rights are dismissed and dismantled omega has seen the end of her kind uh, her kind's usefulness to the empire and a new era dawning right in front of her young face so how do they possibly go back and like go get spice containers for Sid or go steal transformers, transponders or whatever it is. So what do you think about the pacing here? And then this ending for the second, for the uh, second episode of these two things we're talking about. Well, I think the pacing in particular was perfect. I mean, we, we spent, a, I think a perfectly balanced amount of time hitting the political aspects, spending time in the Senate mm. and getting these great action sequences and I think the best thing that they did in these two episodes sort of, I guess, combined into one episode was that tension building. Mm. It was just perfect. I mean, particularly in like episode eight, when they're, they're making their way toward the bridge of, of Rampart's Venator, uh, Venator. And then that leading up to the big action sequence there, we've got, you know, we're crawling around in the dark. And I, I, I swear to God, when uh, Chuchi fell backwards, I was just like, Am I going to have to watch this character that I've known now for so long <laughs> through the Clone Wars? Am I going to have to watch? And like, she's got like Padme-esque hair and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was just dreading it, like waiting for the moment to come. But I'm so glad that that, yeah, ended up being Rex. You, Michael, you said something about how we, we all expected it. I didn't know. I didn't expect it. I didn't know what I was supposed to be expecting. I don't know <laughs> what we were going to see. So I, that whole ending took me by complete surprise, especially yeah. the fact that we had this like, Clone X, I think is what they called him in the data bank that, or the yeah. article that Star Wars sent out recently uh, uh, of this clone that used the like electronic tooth to kill him. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like there was, there was just great tension building, I think all around. When it comes to Echo, um, my favorite, I, you know, it, it was the emotional heart for me, I think was just this scene between Echo and Omega at the yeah. end of the, of these two episodes 
where they're sitting and talking. But I really like that in that moment, we are really in this with Omega. This discussion of Echo leaving the group happened off screen with yeah. Hunter yeah. and Rekka. I mean, and I really like that we were learning that at the same time that Omega was. It just kind of goes back to like, we watched the Clone Wars through Ahsoka's eyes and we're seeing the Bad Batch in the aftermath of this war through Omega's through Omega. eyes. And I kind of like that reminder of like, she really is kind of our emotional center point of this show. Um, even in these, you know, when we, despite the fact that we get some episodes that she doesn't even appear in. Um, legitimately, I am scared for Echo. Um, I He hmm. made that comment like at the beginning of the episode about how he's like, he's had enough solitude. I'm like terrified that he's going to end up in like, some solitary confinement situation um I, I when he's like off with rex he's gonna get like caught or something or he's gonna be the one to like not he's gonna be the first one to not survive the series i don't like that he's not gonna be with us i don't like that we can't see him and what he's doing i am just scared for him so i hope that whatever he's doing wraps up at some point and he comes back because i, I mean, don't look, like him being gone he's not in rebels yeah. I know I thought about that too. I'm like, we need to He's think about when they catch up with Rex. I'm like, and Echo's not with him, but none of the batch are with them. So that's true. Right. We don't know. That's true. Right. Right. I don't know. That's the only thing that's given me comfort in this. Um, but I really did like that ending and I like how it was executed because I had that emotional moment too, where I was like, wait, what what's what's happening? Echo's He's leave. Why we didn't know this, and it just it, it kind of really it, it struck me, and I was really surprised at how much it struck me because I don't feel like in the first season, in the first few episodes of this season, we got a ton of Echo mm. content. There wasn't a lot of reasons to become emotionally attached to him, or for even Omega to become emotionally attached. And we kind of saw them in the first couple episodes of this season, them trying to sort of push those two characters together so we could build a little bit of a bond. Yeah. I see now why they were doing that. Um, but, you know, we know what Echo's story from the Clone Wars, and that's great, but I just, he, he hasn't really been a center point of this show, or he hasn't really gotten a lot of, like, Echo-centric episodes um, in, in this particular series. So well, I'm I'm hoping that we get a little bit, maybe more of that, maybe we catch up with him at some point. And I do think, you know, and again, this is where you sort of get into, when you look at the episodes that have come so far, um, and you look at what the choices they made were, knowing that this is what you were going to end up doing, that Echo yeah. was going to leave the Bad Batch to go with Rex because there's other clones out there that need help. Um, I think that you could have spent maybe a little bit less time doing an Indiana Jones-esque uh, treasure hunt and really done a couple of more episodes where Echo and Hunter were butting heads about some of yeah. these Sid missions. Where if you if you had really seen in a few more episodes leading up to this where Echo was like, what are we doing? Who the fuck cares about this spice run? Who the fuck cares about these goods that Sid's going to sell on the black market? Like, there's shit that's going bad. And so he went along with it and he was with the team. But then when he has this opportunity, he takes it. I think I like I think it was really great. I think everything you said about that scene with Omega and Echo, us seeing it through Omega's eyes, I 100% think you nailed it. 100% that's how that worked. But I think they could have done some things leading up to it that would have made it work more. Yeah. We'll be back with the Geek Buddies right after this. Well, what do you think about um, the way they worked the story of what happened with Camino, uh, Laura, into this whole, um, into these two episodes? It finally getting exposed. The Rampart Loop seems like it's closed now um, uh, after this. When Question he had been mark? growing in power throughout this season, this being brought up, this idea of these two guys having this information, wanting to fight back. 
a little bit mirroring Echo himself, who's a little uncomfortable just, you know, sitting around. He wants to be part. These guys want to, in a way, make up for what they were a part of. And that becomes, that ends up being the downfall of Rampart. So a fascinating thing, the two random clones who have information um, get together and one of them takes the initiative to expose this guy and they both die in the process. But in the end, the overall goal of what they were trying to do does get accomplished in terms of the Rampart thing, not saving the clones themselves, but certainly the Rampart situation. Did you like the way they were telling that how one person or two people can make a difference uh, no matter what level they start at, so to speak? I really enjoyed that aspect of the story. And I mm. think the thing I really appreciated about it was that we've had these sort of smaller stories leading up to this throughout. The, I mean, especially the last right. two episodes, these little one-offs. And the thing that I've been missing has been like a bigger goal. Like mm. the bigger goal in season one was to keep Omega safe. And we've, we've sort of moved past that. Even Hunter to some extent has, has sort of moved past that, but I've just been missing that sort of extra layer of tension above everything. So the fact that that was kind of our main motivation through these two stories was, I think, just perfect. Yeah. Um, it, it really worked well, I think, to sort of just have this overlying, this underlying sort of goal that we're all sort of trying to reach as we sort of separate the story out into different pieces and all eventually come back together. Um, as far as Rampart goes, I... <laughs> It's like not even remotely realistic to me that Rampart wouldn't have erased his command log yeah. and its backup and the backup to the backup on his Venator to like cover his tracks. So I'll suspend my disbelief because I really enjoyed these episodes. But when that was sort of revealed to be like how they were going to get in and like get that information, I was like, seriously? Like, yeah. come on, dude. Also, I'm like, how is he? He had like multiple ships, I feel like, of clones destroying Camino. I'm like, is his plan to somehow silence all of them? Yeah. And if how how are we going about that? Um so some of some of those kind of bigger picture things again, I'm willing to kind of let it go yeah. because these they were just so good. But some of it I was kind of questioning. Um but the, that Senate scene in particular where they were showing the sort of hollow of the destruction of Topoka City, I mean that was such a well done cool effect to see that's not something we've seen i don't you know in in live action senate scenes before and i just yeah. i thought it was really really cool it was really sad to kind of relive it again these these you know that awful season uh season finale where we had to watch those very emotional scenes but it was very cool how they did it yeah i mean watching omega relive the trauma of watching yeah. her you know her, her entire city get decimated by the empire i think they made a point you know they had the close-up on her face they wanted you to yeah. get that she was re-watching this for the effect of what that must be like i also think the show this season has done an interesting job as a guy who served in the military they've done an interesting job of just having this undercurrent of commentary about how we treat our soldiers about how soldiers are expected to act in certain situations how they're supposed to follow orders and laura i take your point and i absolutely agree with you i think rampart you know if he's willing to kill people how would he not think to erase every possible evidence that he was involved in this when he said to that one soldier, you have to kill everybody. who It, it can't lead back to me. No matter what you do, it can't lead back to me. So has he has he kind of conditioned these clones to, in essence, be in a, a sort of form of special army or a special cult that just sees him as the leader? 
or does he bank on what with on what a lot of military leaders bank on when they commit certain acts and wars and do things that are nefarious and we've heard reports since vietnam on of some of the terrible stuff that they've done in wars here in this country do they rely on the fact that soldiers will keep their mouths shut and won't speak about it and won't talk about it because they're complicit in it and so i just wonder about all of that and i like that that was like a little undercurrent that was bubbling uh, through the uh, underneath the surface of all of this uh, just going back to the crosshair episode all of how that dealt with the military approach to things and uh, connecting it up with these two episodes i thought was really interesting as well um uh, mike what did you think about how they handled the rampart situation do you think we're done was it an effective storyline over these two seasons or season and a half rather of the clone of the uh, of the of the bad batch I mean, I think Rampart storyline this season, just in the three episodes that you were discussing, is one of the stronger things about this season. Yeah. Um, you know, the crosshair episode into these two episodes is sort of like Rampart's big gambit. Um, you know, like, don't forget, these clones are, I mean, everything you say about the commentary about soldiers and how we treat soldiers and all of that is accurate. In the world of Star Wars, these clones were programmed yeah, to yeah. follow orders. True, very true. If you told these clones... Don't say shit. They're not supposed to say shit. But what has been apparent in these episodes, particularly the Crosshair episode, yeah. is that these clones were bred to be good soldiers. And what the Empire is having them do is not good. Right. And a lot of them are having a hard time with it, which is why Cody went AWOL, which is why sold these soldiers are disappearing. And so even when you're in the 79, the bar that they're in at the beginning, and these soldiers are talking about it, like... This is a struggle for them. Like this whole concept of I did what I was told to do. I followed orders. That's what I'm supposed to do as a good soldier. But I this does not sit right with me. Yeah. I have to do something like – and I mean – and again, this could be commentary as well. Soldiers are sort of programmed and conditioned through yes. training to you follow your commanding officer. And to break that chain of command is a big deal. And this is the sci-fi version of that. So this is that like you know multiplied by 10. Um, so I think it, I think it was all really, really effective. And I think in the bigger picture of Star Wars, they've done such a beautiful job of telling this really kind of sad, bittersweet story that explains why we went from clones to stormtroopers. Like, you know, when, when Clone Wars, when the prequels came out and we had this whole army of clones, we were like, so wait, so are the stormtroopers all clones under there? Is that, oh, oh no, the stormtroopers aren't clones. Okay. The stormtroopers are just soldiers. Okay, so what happened? When did they do? Did everybody just die after Order 66? And so for them to sort of tell this story that isn't just, oh, yeah, the clones all went away, but is actually this really sad kind of, you know, this destruction of the clones' home, yeah. this destruction of, of Camino um, that was all hush hush, that was all done in an effort to convince everybody that we needed to raise this army of soldiers because we didn't want to spend the money on the clones anymore. We want to spend the money on other things, aka the Death Star. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it's all, it's all kind of great how they used Rampart to sort of weave in the bigger tapestry of what we're telling with Star Wars, but also to tell this really personal and sad story about these clone soldiers. Yeah, and to put the ugly cherry on top of this cake, you have Palpatine come through and say, and blame the clone soldiers for what Rampart had them do and turn the idea that they were programmed to do exactly what you told them to do against them by saying it disturbs me that they would be willing to follow these kinds of terrible orders. 
And these, this is the thing you see in the military when the higher ups try to turn it on the lower uh, soldiers because they're all protecting their commissions and their money and all the things that are going on. They'll turn on the lower soldiers to claim that they went uh, rogue and did what they wanted to do and took the following of the orders too seriously because the way being in, again, the way the Army covers their asses and other military services cover their asses by saying you never have to follow an order that you feel is against your moral judgment. But if you disobey an order, you can be brought up and court-martialed. You can be brought up and punished. You can be vilified by the other members of your squad, by the by the uh, entire military establishment if you disobey orders. And if you are a whistleblower, that's even worse. So these are these kinds of things that they program within the system to give themselves a fake out. But in reality, they want to command you so they can use you and then toss you away when they're done. And you see that here throughout this episode. I'm going to get so passionate about it but it just kind of really stuck with me as i was watching these two episodes um laura what do you think about all of that everything we've been discussing here anything you want to chime in on there i mean it just goes to show what a masterful manipulator palpatine is and it's <laughs> sure. really it's so i mean you bring up these real world implications and it's like it's it's interesting that i, I while i was watching these episodes it occurred to me that you know in all the times that i watched the prequels and I watched them a lot for the Schmodown. <laughs> it just, it never, and even as many times as I watched the Clone Wars, it never kind of occurred to me. And I never questioned, like, what was the plan here for when the war eventually ended, win or lose? They just kept creating and creating these clones and creating more right. soldiers with no plan of what would eventually become of the survivors of the war. And it's just... It's kind of, it's wild to me that number one, I didn't ever notice or question it. And number two, in all the storytelling we've had around clones up to this point, I mean, we had seven seasons or whatever of the Clone Wars. Like we never, it hasn't come up until now. No. Um, yeah. And I love that they're, that they're bringing it up. But it's, it's kind of wild to think that it never actually came up before this. Well, and, and to show like what's really masterful, if you really think about it, nerding out for a minute. So yeah. like the Republic did, never had an army. Like the, like the whole right. issue here is that the Republic didn't have an army. The Republic was just a coalition of planets. So different planets might have armies. Some might not have armies. Some might have big armies. Some have big ships. Some have little ships. And if shit went down, like during the High Republic, you might get like a Republic uh, defense coalition where you might get a bunch of planets to get together. But you don't. You didn't have – so like when Palpatine made the Grand Army of the Republic, thanks to Jar Jar Binks – uh, and made that clone army. You know that was the first. Lord Jar Jar alone. I mean, listen, it's all his fault. Sith Lord Jar Jar Binks. But but so when Palpatine made this army of the Republic, that was a big deal because there was no army before that. But then they didn't want to spend the money on the clones anymore. But they did want an army. And so if they had just like said, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna make clones anymore, then they then you'd say, okay, well, we're not gonna make clones anymore. We're gonna go back to not having an army. But they wanted their stormtroopers. They wanted their army to fight these people and do their thing. So they needed to get rid of the clones in a way that got rid of the clones. But they still were like, oh, but there's still insurgents out there. And there's still things we need to fight. So if we can't use the clones, guys, we have to We have to do this now. Like, we need stormtroopers. So the, fact, the way that he sort of masterfully manipulated everybody into, well, there's no more clones because we blew it up. But now let's uh, let's make let's make some stormtroopers instead because I still want to keep my army. Like it, it was really the way they did it was really really cool. 
What do we think about the old Camino Senator and Bail Organa's role in all of this, uh, Laura? What do you think about seeing those two again and how they service the plot here overall? Um, I never caught Hallie Bertoni's name and the implication or the how close it is to Halliburton. It just never even <laughs> occurred to me. I'm like, that character didn't stand out much to me in the Clone Wars. I don't remember a ton of her being in it. But so now that we're sort of focusing in on her, I was like... Yeah oh shit that's cool like that's good good for them um but the fact that they brought her in i i kind of actually needed a little bit more background on her i wish they kind of would have refreshed us a little bit of like wait what did she do or not do that was the problem it it wasn't totally clear to me and i wasn't about to go back and, and spend all that time to try and figure out what was going on but it was sort of remarkable to me that she was so kind of blase about the fact that her whole planet was essentially yeah. destroyed i mean we learn here that like they didn't just destroy topoka city they wiped out pretty much all civilization on camino um and, and that's that's just devastating as a thought but it doesn't seem to affect her yeah. as much as you would think whether she's good or bad you would think she still had ties to someone or to some people on that planet and she just seems very either unaffected or at this point she's just cynical about it and that was that was sort of remarkable but yeah her name was what stuck out to me this time what about bail what did you think about how bail was used? oh it was so nice to have bail back i was so yeah. happy um i also love that we sort of get him like introed like through a droid like naturally it's like an astromech that's gonna bring bail back into the into the story um it, it's just it's perfect and he's perfect and i love getting a chance to catch up with him um interestingly enough that like his accent seemed a little different like i feel like they're doing a little different spin on bail now which is fine um but it's it's it was just different i wasn't used to it so i was like is were they doing this back in the clone wars and we just had bail and the kenobi show so it it threw me for a loop a little bit um but it's the same voice actor i think it was phil lamar who was voicing him in the clone wars too so i don't know Mm. Interesting. Well, what would you think, Mike, of both Hallie Burtony and, <laughs> and oh, oh, Bail Organa uh, chi- uh, being a part of this whole storyline? Um, yeah, I mean, look, Hallie Burton, uh, I mean, I think she served her purpose, which was like to basically confirm, yeah. yeah, that money got funneled. Yeah, that money didn't go. That money didn't go to Camino. I don't know what to tell. And to your point, like she is sort of just a cynical not my problem. Like, she's not a good guy per se, but she's not necessarily a bad guy. Like, she's standing there with Chuchi at the end. She's going to stand up and say what needs to be said. But uh, she wasn't... It, it just sort of shows to me yeah. how something so overpowering as the Empire kind of just gets you to give up. Yes. It's easy right. to give up. Which it's easy to be like, yeah, sure, this is bad. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and then conversely... I love seeing Bail Organa, you know, like it ha- when Jimmy Smith showed up in the prequels, I was like, okay, there's Leia's dad, I guess he's there. He picked up Yoda in his space Mercedes and flew away. I don't know. Cool. But, uh, but then <laughs> what they've done with him since then to really show how he was so integral with bringing Ahsoka back into the rebellion with kind of like moving everything around with working with Mon Mothma. I think that's all been really interesting. And so I love using characters like Chuchi. Uh, who was there in the Clone Wars, who we got to see on Fun Adventures. She was Ahsoka's buddy. She did cool stuff. But really seeing that she's another senator who sort of steps up and does this. Because at this point, you know, if you watched Andor, which if you're listening to this, I'm sure you did. uh, In Andor, when Mon Mothman's standing there, like the Senate's basically empty. Like the Senate is nothing at that point. And they are just, 
you know, a year or so, uh, five years away from Palpatine just disbanding the Senate entirely. But here you see the Senate is still kind of working the way it did during the Clone Wars. And even though Palpatine is like pulling all the strings, you see how easy it is that like this evil didn't just happen overnight. They didn't all of a sudden say, yep, all right, guys, we're the bad guys now. You see how like they just sort of eased everybody along and they thought they were trying to do good stuff. Like Chuchi thinks she's doing the right thing here. And she thinks she's got it all figured out. And then Palpatine comes and pulls the rug out from under them. So watching this burgeoning rebellion struggle against this overpowering force, while you have characters like the the Kaminoan uh, senator who just kind of feels like she gave up, I think it's kind of really, again, I can talk about the politics of Star Wars all day. I fucking love it. Yeah, exactly. And again, this idea of in a society, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow progression of destruction of the norms and things are opened up and evilness comes in and manip- and they manipulate the situations, play game the system in order to acquire power and then use that power to vilify anybody who would counter them. And so you see that playing out, you know, in Star Wars and sometimes in the real world, if you look at the history of the world. So it's just it's it's a very interesting way they're going about it. Again, it's these two. Well, for me, these two episodes had and or vibes, uh, you know, had that yeah. feeling of the political implications also connecting to the real world things and real commentary, real commentary, not sitting on the sidelines anymore, actually making commentary about our our worlds and our lives. And I appreciate Star Wars that does that. I think Star Wars is the best when it does that kind of thing for me personally. You know, I don't have any issues with the other aspects of Star Wars, but when it starts to weave that kind of stuff in, I think it does it so well and these two episodes are certainly uh, examples of that. By the way, I want to give a big shout out to Jennifer Hale, who I absolutely love as the voice of Chuchi. And so her Australian accent, I thought, was on point for what she was doing. Or was it a New Zealand accent? Either way, it was on it was point. more New Zealand. Loved, yeah, yeah. I, I loved it because um, I, I think she's great. She's one of the best voice actresses working today. So it was nice to hear her again. Um, let's wrap it up there. Any final words on this on these two episodes? Mike, any, anything you want to say? That we missed? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things I really did love, uh, you know, I know we talked about what we said about the Bad Batch kind of taking the back seat. I do like that this season really does seem to be focusing on Omega figuring yeah. out uh, who she wants to be. Uh, you know, really kind of, she's the one who's like, we got to help Sid uh, in the faster episode. She's the one that is like, you know, meditating with Gunji. Like, she's the one doing this. And so in this episode, I love the shades of Padme and Ahsoka. Like watching Chuchi take yes. Omega down the hallways of the Senate and kind of showing her the Senate and this is how the Senate works and this is where these decisions get made. It was just complete Padme Ahsoka vibes in yeah. a really, really lovely way. So uh, even Echo making this choice and leaving, like to your point, John, if we do go back to a bunch of standalone Mission of the Week episodes after this, I think there's going to be a lot of people commenting about it because I do feel like Omega watching Echo leave watching what happened in the Senate, understanding the bigger picture of what's going on for all clones yeah. right now. Um, I feel like they, she's going to be the one that needs to tell the clones, the uh, clone force 99, like guys, the fuck are we doing? Mm. Like, what even is this? Uh, so, uh, you know, like I think, I think the bad batch season two, it's a bit uneven. Like it's a bit uneven in the storytelling, but when they're hitting these high notes, they are very, very high notes. Yeah. I think you made an excellent point about Omega, Mike, cause now with echo out of the way, someone has to serve to be the voice of telling the clone force 99 that we gotta, we gotta play a hand. We gotta, you know, 
deal ourselves into this battle and Omega now having seen all she's seen, she has to be that voice. And we've already seen a pattern of her this whole season, as you mentioned, Michael, of her making them do these things, being a part of these things. So in a way, her voice may be even stronger than Echo's to force Clone yeah. Force 99 to be a part of the battle as we go into the rest of the episodes of the season. Laura, any final words on this on these two episodes and anything we might have missed? Um, I'm glad that you brought up the Padme and Ahsoka vibes because I was 100% getting that too and I had meant to mention it. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, One thing I sort of touched on, I want to just kind of drive the point home. Mm. The fact that, you know, the Empire thinks that the Bad Batch is all dead and, you know, I, I feel like there's a little bit of resistance when Rex first reaches out. But the fact that Hunter agrees to, number one, go to Coruscant at all, and number two, let Omega go with Chuchi as her protection. Like, can we just acknowledge like how far Hunter has come <laughs> in his like protective daddy phase? As a daddy, <laughs> because like, ain't no way he was letting that go down in season one. Not so we we've, we've made some progress, I think, with Hunter, and I like that. Yeah. Well, she's gotten older. She's gotten taller. So maybe he thinks she can handle herself. And uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to tell a teenager not to do something. Uh, it's not a good experience. So fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, but I agree with you. It's good progression. Yeah. Overall, just I'm I'm I really enjoy these two episodes, and these are the reasons why I cling to this series as a good series. Because when they nail it, as Michael said, when they hit those highs, they are worth it. Are you trudging through a couple of other episodes? Sure. Where not much happens, or the race episode, sure. But then we get the Gunji episode. We get this episode, and these two episodes. We get the Crosshair episode. These things get me excited to see what the potential of this show can be and the series could be. And it's almost felt like, and I don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the episodes, but it almost felt like those episodes that always happen in these animated series where they turn that corner and it becomes a lot more serious than it was leading up to that point. We saw that in Rebels, saw that in Clone Wars, saw that in numerous series, uh, animated series. So hopefully this is something where the Bad Batch gets to be just slightly a little more serious without losing the fun of it. We get a little more serious about what's going on in the in the galaxy, and we'll see over the next few episodes. All right, well, there you go. That's our spoiler review of episodes seven and eight here of season two of The Bad Batch. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it madly. Uh, Michael, what do we have to tell them? Uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, it is at geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, it is at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow Roka, he is at the Roka says. If you would like to follow me, I am at MKToon. And if you would like to follow Shannon McClung because he is not here, you can follow him at Shannon underscore McClung on Twitter and at Shannon the Geek Buddy on Instagram. And? Did I do it right? Yes, you did. Nailed it. And? Uh, and Laura, where should they follow you? <laughs> you can follow me at shutup underscore Laura on Twitter and Instagram. That's my handle there. And then the show that I host with my friend Alice is forced is at forced toast pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we just celebrated our four year anniversary of hey. talking about Star Wars and drinking wine in a podcast. Uh, our most recent episode, we talked about Bad Batch episodes five and six, and we have advanced reader copies for Jedi Battle Scars mm. and the High Republic Cataclysm, so we're gearing up to be talking about those two Ooh, soon. How is Cataclysm? Have you read it yet? Um, I The minute I got it, I read the first chapter, and I was so pumped. I was so pumped. It's I'm... seamless. Seamless. The way that like these books in phase one, the way that they all tie together and work so well together, it's seamless. It's perfect. Wow. I can't wait. I'm very excited. Uh, and I speaking praise. of excited, here's what I am excited about you guys all doing. I'm excited about you hitting that like button below, subscribing to John Roca's uh, 
Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Leave your comments below. Let us know what you thought of these two episodes, and let us know what you think of Bad Batch on the whole. How is season two shaping up for you? Where do you hope it goes? What are your concerns? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? If you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some comments and some stars. Help us go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. And of course, a big shout out to Carbon Health, who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. We appreciate them madly. Head on over to CarbonHealth.com to go get checked out virtually or in person today or download the app to have a doc in your pocket for these situations. And as I said earlier, when I started the show here, they are focusing more and more on mental health issues and addressing mental health concerns in your life. So if you've been in a place like that where you need to get that address, you need to take a look at situations, and you've been watching our show, and there's a Carbon Health Clinic near you, or you want to take a look at the programs they offer virtually online for yourself, do yourself a favor, reach out to them, or head on over to the website and see how you can do that. We would love to see you do that. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode for the bad batch from the geek buddies and laura kelly Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.